Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Namano and Table Read present Love and Darkness, based on the incredible and brave stories of the true Vesicucha, Joseph Braun, and his family. In our first episode, we delved into the intricate lives of the Katz family. We met Dove Katz, a young man entangled in a forbidden love with Inga, a non-Jewish girl from their town. Their illicit romance deeply troubles Dove's father, Rabbi Avram Katz, who must now decide whether to disown his son forever or not. At the same time, Wolf, Dove's older brother, a courageous Jewish resistance fighter, returns home from Poland with alarming news about the escalating war that engulfs Europe. Meanwhile, Avram receives a cryptic letter from his estranged father, Moshe, residing in Budapest, which holds potential clues to their unsettling future, as hinted in the opening flash forward. Being imprisoned in a Hungarian Jewish labor unit and forced to clear minefields ahead of Germany's invasion of Russia. Episode 2, Exterior Christian High School, Morning. Children rush to enter before the morning bells peal. Find Eden among them, a massive cello case strapped to her back. Falling into stride with Eden is Ferenc, 24, teacher's aide and Kat's family friend. Good morning, Ferenc. Ready your cello, Eden. Today in class, Herr Schooner will make the most amazing announcement. Not even a hint? Perhaps I'll find another stomach for this hollow my mother sent you. I shall not tell you. My whips are sealed. Then handing you a loaf of bread would truly be a waste. Oh! Eden smiles, then hands over a bag containing the challah. Interior orchestra classroom, high school, morning. The instructor is Herr Schulner, 70s, a relic from the old Austro-Hungarian Empire. Find Ferenc sitting at the piano. Students file in, carrying their instruments, strings, brass, woodwind, and percussion. Take your seats, quickly. Herr Schulner taps his desk with a conductor's baton. Attention, class. A representative from Franz Liszt School of Music is choosing students for a special program to study music in Budapest for their summer session. Eden and Frank exchange a look while the students gush with excitement. Reserve your enthusiasm. Only 34 children from across the country will be chosen. Most, if not all of you, will be rejected. This is where you learn the difference between having talent and having a gift. Tonight's homework is to select a two-minute solo, which you will submit to Herr Ferenc for approval. No Beethoven. He will be overplayed by your contemporaries. Now, ready your instruments. As Lacey, 14, readies her flute, she turns to Eden. I hear your brother's wife birthed a son and your father chopped off his... thing. (laughs) A few students within earshot snicker. (laughs) It's called a bris, Lacey. Nothing's taken off but the foreskin. It sounds barbaric. Miklos, 14, class bully, chimes in. Like Mojid customs. Herr Schulner watches the exchange, has seen enough. Quiet, you chatterboxes. Chopin's revolutionary etude. Herr Ferenc. Ferenc plays the intro, then Herr Schulner cues the students to harmonize in. Dissatisfied with the intonation, Herr Schulner slams his ruler on the desk. Horns! Did you leave your ears at home today? Play the high C sharp. Again. The students roll their eyes. Herr Schulner is a taskmaster. Exterior Katz Brothers Butcher Shop, morning. Located on the corner of a busy shopping street in the middle of town, outdoor cow pens feed into a small slaughterhouse in the back of the butcher shop. Interior Cat's Brothers Butcher Shop Morning. Bare light bulbs hang from the ceiling. Skinned chickens dangle from meat hooks in a window already filled with signs in both German and Hungarian offering kosher specials. 
Isaac stacks canned goods, wipes down the meat scale. Uncle Yehuda wheels in a barrel of garlic dill pickles. Doe steps out from the back room, putting on his apron. Wolf relaxes with his feet up on a chair at a little corner table, reading the newspaper. A number of customers gather at the door, waiting eagerly for the shop to open. The line's already forming. Yeah, don't help. Can of pike? Mm-hmm. Uncle Yehuda nods. I wasn't meant for the apron. Brisket? Ah, yeah. Neither was I. But I have a son now, and hopefully more on the way. As Uncle Yehuda nods, then heads into the storeroom. Did you see him this morning? He was gone by the time I woke up. Uncle Yehuda enters from the storeroom with a can of pike. He went to pray. Doe takes this in with a sigh. This is ridiculous. It's 1941. I shouldn't need my father's permission to court a woman. <laughs> Just courting, huh? Doe shoots him a look. Wolf shrugs. Isaac stays on point. Don't look at the world as it should be, brother. But as it is, to make her a bride and a mother is a sin against God. Papa must turn his back on you, as if you were dead to him. You know this. Yes. I remember the speech he gave all of us the first day of school. Remember Yitzhak Cohen from football club? When his father learned he kissed the shiksa, he smacked him so hard at the dinner table, he fell out of a chair and broke his arm. He was our goalie. I don't care about Yitzhak Cohen. I'm leaving for medical school in a month. I'm an adult now. Yes, and as an adult, you're still a Jew, and she's still one of them. Your children will never know their grandfather. Is that a life you wish for your sons? For yourself? A life bereft of family? Sounds like it's not only Papa who'll turn his back on me. It's a sin against God. Nothing good will come from this. I won't abandon you, brother. Said the brother who can't wait to leave home the moment he arrives. Wolf nods this away. Isaac, I'm sorry your marriage was arranged and you've never loved by choice. If you did, you might understand how I feel. It also might help to remove that large stick from up your ass. Wolf exchanges a glance with Isaac. He's right. Dove takes a beat, then approaches Uncle Yehuda. Uncle? Mm-hmm? You're too quiet. Silence is wisdom. Open up. Isaac unlocks the front door. Customers rush the counter, yelling their order. Two shots! Dove retrieves and hands over the order. The customer presents money. No, pay at the register. Isaac sees the midwife, nurse, Rosa, enter. Rosa. Did Yano sleep through the night? As did his mother. You ordered a leg of lamb. Rosa nods. Uncle Yehuda carries over a large leg of lamb wrapped in brown butcher's paper and hands it to Isaac. This is a beautiful cut. Great for Stuart. Is Georgie outside with the car? Rosa nods, hands Isaac money. No, 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 Rosa. You never pay. I'll carry it out for you. Rosa exits with Isaac behind her. Exterior Cat's Brothers Butcher Shop, morning. Rosa steps up onto the horse-drawn cart piloted by her husband, Georgie, 40s, a simple farmhand who married way up. Isaac places a leg of lamb in the cart's cab and bids them farewell. When they're a good distance away... Why must we always buy from them? Don't be a fool. They have the best meat in three counties. Interior Inga's bedroom, afternoon. The heavy chucka-chucka-chucka of a sewing machine... Inga's hemming a dress. Her father, 40s, last night's booze still on his breath, enters. She stops sewing mid-stitch. There's a man here to see you. Off Inga's nervous look. Could it be Dove? Interior kitchen a few minutes later. Inga enters the kitchen behind her father to discover it's not Dove, but Captain Tibor. I wanted to confirm with my own eyes that you arrived home safe last night. Captain says you refused a ride from him after the movie end. The night was still young, Father. May I speak to the captain outside? <clears throat> Inga's father nods. Captain Tibor and Inga walk outside. Exterior Inga's house continuous. As they exit the cottage, Inga whips around, furious. Last night was a shameful display. What lies you told? Lies? Which would have been the truth, had your father known the truth. What my father knows is my business. State the purpose of your visit, Tibor. I'm sick of your games. As I said, I wanted to make sure you arrived home safe. Your concern is touching, but I am not your concern. You know my feelings go beyond concern. And you know I'm in love with someone else. Which strikes Captain Tibor like a dagger in the heart. 
You talk of this love as if it has any hope of a future. They're Jews. They'll never accept you. And I can offer you a better life. Please, stop. In two years, I'll make lieutenant. On a lieutenant's wage, I'll purchase a cottage twice the size of your father's. In two years, I'll be working in a hospital with no desire for farm life. Tibor, I'm only a shadow of what you'd wish for in a wife. So, Dove Katz wins your heart. My heart is not a prize to be won. Captain Tibor aggressively steps towards her, invading her personal space, making her nervous. Of course it is. Captain Tibor heads for his car. Inga walks over to the mailbox, withdrawing a stack of letters. As she thumbs through, her hands tremble. Exterior, Hungarian countryside evening. Rays of golden sunlight accent an isolated meadow of lush green. Somewhere in the Hungarian countryside. Over this, in the tall grass, we hear the moans of passionate sex. The camera finds Dove and Inga, their bodies intertwined and writhing under a blanket. After climax, they settle into a post-sex calm. Inga lays her head on his chest, and the two stare into each other's eyes. After a long silence... You seem quiet. Were you considering Tibor's offer? Only the tone in which it was presented. He frightens me. Doe sighs, puffs out his chest. Not enough for you to confront him. He knows I'm yours. The matter's settled. And your father? Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. How long before that matter settled? My father is an old Magyar with deep opinions of Jews. I'll tell him. When you tell me that this is forever. Dove leans in and kisses her. Passionately. Desperately. As they roll over into each other's arms. Interior kitchen. Cat's family home. Late night. Sari's cleaning the dinner plates. Avram enters, tosses down his father's letter on the kitchen table. Moshe invited me to Budapest. Will you go? No. What needed to be said was said years ago. Oi, Avram, your mother was sick. You yourself said it many times how she'd have conversations with the walls or sleep in the basement for days. It was the sickness that put the gun in her hand, not your father. But it was his infidelity that pulled the trigger. And now he seeks your forgiveness. As you might one day seek from Dove, if you turn your back on him. Perhaps. But Moshe doesn't only seek forgiveness in his letter. He seeks advice. The clomp and whinny of a horse approaching. Avram's face turns pale as he sees through the window it's Dove. Sari reads him. Avram steals himself for what must be done. Avram, no. I'm a rabbi, Sari. I can't have him in my house. Interior cat's family barn a few moments later. Dove ties down the horse's reins and tends to it. After a beat, he realizes there's someone else in the barn with him. Dove slowly turns around to find Avram standing there, his face inscrutable. Dove knows what's coming next, but Avram struggles to find the right words. A long beat of silence broken by... I intend to marry her, Papa. I'm sorry. Anu made beef for supper. The plate's... Still warm, if you hurry. Avram quickly retreats out of the barn. Dove opens his mouth to speak, but then closes it wordlessly. Exterior cat's family barn continuous. Avram exits, looks up to heaven, eyes tearing. 
Forgive me. He's my son. Interior hallway, Christian high school afternoon. In between classes, students hurry to class. Pick up Eden, cello strapped to her back, briskly walking past Lacey and her friends who commiserate in front of the orchestra room. Lacey scrutinizes Eden from head to toe and notices something that disturbs her. She and Eden are wearing the same red socks with yellow flowers as part of their skirt outfits. Eden enters the orchestra class. Interior orchestra room, Christian High School continuous. The students slowly trickle in and take their seats. Such lethargy from aspiring musicians. Take your seats. The students uncase their instruments. A debate rages in the high halls about box suites. Is it the substance of his heart's passion? Or the pure calculations from the rhythms of a didactic mathematician? No dead hands today. Box Courant in C major. Frank leads a complicated piece in with the piano. Then the students follow, sounding marvelous. Angle on Lacey, blowing into her flute, distracted. She repeatedly peers over to Eden, examining her socks to confirm if they are indeed the same exact pair. How could she have the same pair of socks as a Jew? Herr Schuldner takes note of Lacey's deficiency in concentration and rumbles over. Pay attention, flutes. Enough. The music dies out. Lacey, you're overhanging the keys. I wasn't, Herr Teacher. So my ears deceive me? Perhaps I am mistaken. Perhaps you are a prodigy equal to Lily Bollinger. Or Bellini. Or Franz Liszt himself. Lacey shakes her head no. Stand. Lacey nervously rises out of her chair. If the emissary from Franz Liszt were here, in this very room, would he select you for a scholarship? No, Herr Teacher. No. Eden Katz, based on your performance, would you be chosen? I, I can only hope, Herr Teacher. Minor chuckles from the other students. Miklos blurts. Like they'd pick a Jew. <laughs> More inward timbre of the D string and almost avoiding the open A. Today, your play was precise and unerring. Then Herr Schulner maneuvers her face to face with Lacey. Extend your palms face down. Lacey slowly does this. Frank realizes Herr Schulner's intentions, stands defiantly. Herr teacher. Sit down, Herr Ferenc. You are only here at my whim. Ferenc deflates into his chair. Herr Schulner turns to Eden, hands her the conductor's baton. Ten reps on the knuckles. A lesson she'll not soon forget, coming from you. Eden's frozen. Strike now. Look, they're wearing the same socks. The students check to confirm. Enough chatterboxing. Eden, commence. Eden tears up, looks to Ferenc, who nods his approval. Eden strikes Lacey's knuckles once, twice, a third time, as Lacey's eyes register the pain. Harder! Eden raises the baton above her head, ready to pounce, but then freezes. I cannot do it, Herr Teacher. Complete the punishment or be expelled. Eden considers this, but then lowers the baton and tosses it on the desk in front of her. Miss Katz. You are dismissed for the remainder of the semester. Please, Herr Teacher, what about my audition? Auditions are held for students enrolled in orchestra. Miklos, 17 lashes, an additional 10 for the Jewess's disobedience. Count aloud. Miklos rises, wipes the baton, and strikes Lacey mercilessly. One, two, three... The haunting thwack of the baton connecting over Lacey's knuckles is all we hear as Eden packs up her cello. Before Eden exits, Lacey glares daggers at her. Exterior alley next to the school, afternoon. Eden sits on the ground, back against the wall. She's watching a female beggar hassle pedestrians for a handout. Ferenc enters the alley, sits down next to her. Seven more taps is all it took. Yesterday, she made a comment, as she always does. In that moment, 
when I stopped hitting her, it wasn't because I was afraid of hurting her. It was because I was afraid of how much I wanted to. Which makes what you've done all the more brave. No. I'm a weak, sentimental girl. And the world tramples us. He held my future in his hands. As he considers this, he has a eureka moment. There, there still may be a way for you to audition. Eden turns to him in disbelief. As Herr Schulner's assistant, I'll have contact with the emissary once he's in town. I could tell him your story, and if he agrees, arrange a private concert to hear you play. But, but only you, me, and your family are all that can ever know. I won't tell a soul. Good. You'll need to practice every day. My house, after school. Branka would love to hear you play. Why risk your position with Herr Schollner just to help me? All people have dreams, but few possess the gifts to achieve them. You do. And I don't wish to see you waste it becoming the most celebrated teacher's assistant in town. And we realize Ferenc doesn't want Eden to end up like him. Interior Katz Brothers Butcher Shop late afternoon. Business is winding down. Uncle Yehuda, Isaac, and Dove begin cleaning up here we go again. Uh, uh, Gonda Marie? Gonda Marie, is that right? Thank you. Uh, business is winding down. Uncle Yehuda, Isaac, and Doe begin cleaning up as Gonda Marie Officer Alaric, 26, enters. Alaric, apologies for missing the bris. Katarina came down with the flu. Many of his friends' wives were struck with an illness since he was released from Gonda Marie. Uncle Yehuda smirk oh, from the. Many of his friends' wives were struck with an illness since he was released from the gondomerie. Mm-hmm. Uncle Yehuda smirks. Isaac covers. They ask how she's feeling. Still with a fever and sore throat. My mother's matzo ball soup is the perfect cure-all. Then I'll take a liter. Isaac fills a container of soup from a heated chafing dish and hands it to Alaric. Alaric pulls out money for recompense. Pay at the register. Alaric turns, but then stops, his face filling with dread, something terrible weighing on his mind. Isaac, I'm sorry. At that moment, a caravan of police cars lumbered to a halt in front of the shop. Stepping from the lead vehicle, Captain Tibor, Isaac Dove and Uncle Yehuda exchange uneasy looks. Tibor? Isaac whips a furious glance to Alaric as Captain Tibor enters, air thickening. Captain Tibor turns to Isaac. Step out from behind the counter, old friend. Isaac warily does this. Captain Tibor presents him with an official-looking document displaying state seals. This shop's being closed until further notice. The office of the health inspector needs proof we're conforming with the new animal safety regulations. There have been rumors of code violations. Kashrut law is not Hungarian law. Uncle Yehuda comes from around the counter. Dove remains silent, simply staring down Captain Tibor. If you're found serving any beef or poultry on the premises until the health department inspects you, you're subject to arrest and forfeiture of property. Captain, 14 years we've been in operation. No violations. Then you should have nothing to fear. An inspector will contact you within the week. Captain Tibor shoots Dove a glance. The glance is just smug enough to allow Dove insight into the true purpose of the shop closing. Payback for Dove's relationship with Inga. Captain Tibor and Officer Alaric exit. Alaric still holding the soup, leaving Uncle Yehuda, Dove, and Isaac to confer. So the shop's closed for a few weeks until an inspector certifies our compliance. Don't be a fool. No inspector will ever come. As Isaac considers this, Dove's blood boils until he can no longer ignore his rage and charges out of the shop in pursuit of Captain Tibor. Exterior Katz Brothers Butcher Shop continuous. 
as Captain Tibor opens his car door. Captain! He slams the door shut, turns to see Dove approaching, the veins in his head bulging. His uncle Yehuda and Isaac hurriedly exit the shop. Come back inside, brother. Dove ignores him, steps closer to the captain. Feel free to protest through official channels, young cats. This isn't about Hungarian law or how we slaughter our fucking cows. This is about her. <laughs> Captain Tibor explodes with a sucker punch to Dove's chin, spiraling him to the ground. Uncle Yehuda and Isaac jump too, but Tibor's officers, including Alaric, draw their revolvers, keeping them at bay. He speaks a man's words, Isaac. Let him accept a man's beating. Captain Tibor gut kicks Dove, <laughs> popping the very air out of his lungs. Dove struggles to draw breath. Dove, stay down. But Dove's tough and defiantly stands up, signaling Tibor for round two. Isaac, Uncle Yehuda, and a growing crowd of townsfolk gasp, knowing Dove's overmatched. A left hook and uppercut, a shot to the abdomen. Isaac winces as Dove is back on the ground, face swelling. Dove desperately crawls for the safety of the butcher shop. The fight's over, Captain. The boys learned his lesson. Captain Tibor yanks Dove up by the hair, whispers in his ear. He knows how to end this. The subtext, give up seeing Inga. She'll never love you. Captain Tibor flattens his node with another hammering right. Back on the ground, Dove continues crawling toward the butcher shop, determined to reach the porch. <laughs> he scurries away like a rat. I thought you cats boys were made of sterner stock. But Doe wasn't crawling to escape. He was crawling to find a weapon. Doe slowly rises to his feet, clutching a piece of firewood. He swings for dear life, slamming Captain Tibor across the face, dropping him to the ground. Dove tosses the firewood, jumps on top of Tibor, pummeling him with rights and lefts. The fight devolves from punches to each man attempting to choke out the other. The police officers run over to pry Dove off of their captain. Isaac and Uncle Yehuda help, grabbing hold of Dove, pinning his arms back and dragging him away. Officer Alaric helps Captain Tibor to his feet. Arrest him for striking an officer! No! Tibor, you'll look weak. Captain Tibor knows he's right, which infuriates him even more. The camera pulls back as the two men are restrained by their respective supporters, yet still desperately clawing and reaching for one last punch. Fade to black. Interior living room, Cat's family home night. The whole family is present except for Eden. Avram, Sari, Uncle Yehuda, Isaac, Wolf, Devorah, and Bella. Dove is on the couch, eyes closed, popping in and out of sleep. Avram sits at his side, watching him. Devorah turns to Wolf. Why do men think with their fists? Fists settle matters, words can't. Avram stands, turns to the family. Tibor's rage is clear. Then let him suffer and remember. How? By unsheathing your knife? He lost the fight, Papa. This is far from over. If a mind of violence is what you've learned from those Zionist friends of yours... Unlike you, those friends and I have walked the streets of Krakow, Warsaw, and Lodz. Jews forced into ghettos like animals. Thousands living on top of one another, slummed within a few square blocks. That's Poland. It's not here. Not yet. This is how it starts... First it's shop closings and beatings, and then it's ghettos and yellow stars. Allow me to end this before it begins. By killing him, you will ensure that it does begin. Wolf rolls his eyes, dismissing his father's warning. Frustrated, Avram steps in his face. It's intimidating. I may not have walked down the streets of Krakow and Lodz, but I've stood face to face with my enemy, close enough to feel his warm blood run down my arm. Close enough to see the look in his eyes as he wondered how much deeper I'd drive my bayonet into his stomach. Which frightens Wolf and freezes the rest of the room. You know nothing about killing men, Hushka. And I pray you never do. A knock at the front door tenses everyone further. Isaac opens the door, revealing Inga, her face fraught with worry. Can I see him? Please. Avram nods approval. Inga rushes to Dove's side, grabbing his hand. Avram and Sari are touched. 
from envy grows hate. Interior bathroom, police precinct simultaneously. Close on a pair of hands washing off blood and dirt. Pull out to find Captain Tibor shirtless, hovering over a first aid kit balanced on the sink. Now dabbing iodine on his contused cheek. A gold cross dangles from his neck. He takes a long pointed look at himself in the mirror. Eyes moving from his bruise to the cross and back again. He raises his left arm, revealing two inch-long scars, appearing like horizontal Roman numerals, under his armpit. He unclasps his cross's chain from around his neck and, using the cross's sharp edge, digs into his skin, cutting a third mark underneath the two previous ones. His hand shakes as blood oozes from the self-made wound. This action taken by Tibor seems to be some measure of self-inflicted penance. When he's finished, Tibor goes back to staring at himself in the mirror, then flares up, knocking the first aid kit on the floor, scattering its contents. Interior squad room, police precinct continuous. Main room where uniformed officers mingle. Captain Tibor exits the bathroom to find his officers laughing amongst themselves. The laughs die out when Captain Tibor's presence is realized. Whether he's the butt of their joke or not, it's his perception that he is, fueling the growing rage within him. Interior living room, cats, family, home simultaneously. Only a few moments have passed since we last saw our family. Sari turns to Devorah. Bring out cookies for everyone, in case they want to nosh. Devorah heads to the kitchen as Bella chimes in. Without the shop, how can we afford to live? Now is not the time to discuss money. Don't yell at me. Ooh. Worst comes to worst, we could sell the cows. Devora carrying a tray of schnicken. Devora carrying a tray of schnicken offers her the cookies to everyone present, except Inga, bypassing her completely. Father, I can pick up an extra day at the salon. Avram nods. Inga stands. Rabbi, I love your son so much that I would end our affair if it means peace for your family. Sweet girl, the captain's a bully. Bend once and you'll bend forever. If we don't fight back and we don't give in, what options left? Bezras Hashem. Inga doesn't understand Hebrew. God will provide. A long moment of silence. He already has. Go to Budapest, Avram. Go see your father. Sari indicates Moshe's letter still on the kitchen table. Bela's right. Without the store, our family has nothing but a dozen mouths to feed and a shortage of food in the pantry. Avram looks to Uncle Yehuda to weigh in. Osha has the connections to get the ban lifted. There's no shame in asking for his help. Rosa enters with her husband, Georgi. Rosa, thank you for coming. She rushes over to the couch where Doe's napping, nudges him awake as Doe slowly awakens. On Dove as he wipes the sleep from his eyes. Oh, Rosa, they shouldn't have called you. Sleep is the best doctor. Captain Tibor did this? Georgie, there's some nice schneckin on the kitchen table. Help yourself. Georgie seats himself, takes a bite of a schneckin, and notices Moshe's letter sitting on the table. Rosa listens to her stethoscope, the drum over Dove's chest. Bruised, but not broken. I'll need to clean those cuts before infection sets. Hold on a second. Yeah. Uh, Bruised, but not broken. Make that more uh, calm. Bruised, but not broken. You know what I mean? Just make soft, sure. just a smidge. Can I just give the one? Giving him a little bit of hope there. So let's get pick up what Rosa listens to her stethoscope. Yeah, good. Because you did right with that line 16. <laughs> <laughs> Rosa listens with her stethoscope. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rosa listens to her steth. Rosa listens to her stethoscope. Stethoscope. <laughs> English word. <laughs> Rosa listens to her stethoscope, the drum over Doe's chest. Bruised, but not broken. I'll need to clean those cuts before infection sets. Rosa grabs a bottle of iodine from her bag. Isaac and Avram approach. Watch as Rosa cleans Doe's cuts with a swab of iodine. Dove looks up to Avram. Why didn't you send me away? 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Because I'm weak. So, Papa, what's your decision? As Avram considers his options, he looks to Sari, who nods. Interior Razi's hair salon, morning. The chaos of a woman's hair salon bustling with activity. At six or seven workstations, hair is either being washed, cut, colored, styled, or dried. Find Devorah at her station, sitting in the barber's chair, swiveling it back and forth while the crabby salon owner, Razi, 40s, sweeps the floor in front of her. We join their conversation midstream. One extra day a week is all I ask. One extra day. Half your earnings must come back to my pocket. Half? Razi, please. My family needs the money. You only cut Jewish hair. Jews pay less. Fine. I'll take my Jewish hair to Krosha Street. Then you get bubkis. Yiddish for shit. Krosha Street will be worse. That red-headed hag will take half from all your days. Bam. I'm sorry, Devorah. I can't afford taking someone else off a station and giving it to you for less than half. My family has to eat, too. Frustrated, Devorah leans back in the chair, staring ominously at Razi as the woman continues sweeping. Interior study, Ferenc's house, day. Eden's rehearsing with Ferenc, playing her solo. His wife, Bronca, 25, enters, carrying a tray of tea. <sighs> More adagio. Boxcella Suite Number 4 is a lyrical melody, not swing time in the countryside. I'm sorry. My wrist is tender. Ferenc is unmoved. Eden takes the hint and continues playing. Ferenc's still displeased. You're rushing. Stay on tempo. As Eden continues, Bronco looks to Ferenc, who shakes his head no, as if to say she's not playing well. Interior car day. Isaac's behind the wheel, Avram in the passenger seat. The road they're driving on, the East 71, snakes through the rolling hills of the Hungarian countryside. The car speeds past a sign that reads 146 kilometers to Budapest. The hum of a fighter plane engine can be heard overhead. It's a Hungarian Mavag Hawk, headed east. Avram notices this. It's a somber note of things to come. Exterior Moshe's house, day. Known among realtors as the luxury on Andrassy Street, a huge three-floor <laughs> I'm okay, I think. Thank you. Ha <laughs> ha. A huge three-floor villa in the heart of Budapest. Avram and Isaac pull up to the front gate, park. As they step out, Isaac's impressed by the sheer size of the residence. He's a country boy at heart. It's bigger than I ever imagined, and I imagined big. I cannot believe you grew up in such a place. Avram half nods, distracted. He's experiencing a rush of memories, both good and bad. Interior foyer, Moshe's house, a few moments later. Open on a huge oil paint of Moshe's family. Their pose, Moshe next to Avram's mother, both of them standing behind Avram and his five siblings. The painting was commissioned when the children were in their teens. Isaac indicates each. You, Uncle Saul, Uncle Gil, Yehuda, Aunt Miriam, and Aunt Frida. I was 13. The painter scolded him repeatedly for his constant fidgeting. Isaac turns to see Moshe standing atop the balcony. Grandfather. While Moshe walks down the staircase, Avram and Isaac spot a naked girl, 23, squirreling out of an upstairs bedroom and into the bathroom. Avram's repulsed if not surprised. 
Moshe and Isaac greet each other, hug. Thank you for such a crib. It's hand-carved from Istanbul. Uh, an unnecessary extravagance. Nonsense. My first great-grandchild receives the world on a platter. What's his name? Your great-grandson. Moshe tries to recall. Yeah, I was told in passing. It's Janusz. Janusz. Very Hungarian. Isaac, why don't you go upstairs and rest? You look exhausted as a new father should. Isaac looks to his father for approval. Avram nods as Isaac heads upstairs. How nice. The devotion of a firstborn. Off Avram's look. Interior Moshe's study a few moments later. Moshe sits behind his desk, Avram in a tall chair across from him. The naked girl seen earlier is now fully clothed, wearing a maid's uniform. She refills the ice bucket at Moshe's minibar, then leaves. As Moshe walks to the minibar and pours himself a drink. Must be hard finding one who can actually do housework. Moshe ignores this as he presents an empty glass to Avram. Avram nods yes. Ice? No? Fine. I'll call the Minister of Trade and Commerce regarding your problem with the butcher shop. He's sympathetic to Jewish businesses in the villages. Thank you. Don't thank me yet. The wind is changing in Budapest. Or did you not read my letter? You spelled conscience wrong. Moshe delivers a whatever look as he hands Avram his drink. Parliament's considered lengthening forced labor units terms of service from three months to two years. Banning marriage and fornication between Jews and non-Jews. <sighs> For a thousand years, this country has been tough on Jews. From the 1200s and Ladislaus IV to the White Terrors 20 years ago. Our course always writes itself. But never enough for them to consider us true Hungarians. The council's drafting a list of grievances for President Horthy, and I'd like you to be a part of it. The Neolog Perspective. The city is rooted in Neologian rabbis. Why me? You're my son, Hushka. There was a time when these hands fed you, clothed you, and bathed you. I was God in your eyes. I remember. I was still a child. But children grow up, and I realized you were not God. You were just the son of a goat farmer who sees the people of his life in terms of their value and getting him what he wants. You don't care about Jewish rights. Two years for labor units instead of three months means less cheap labor for your factories. Interracial fornication forces you to hire your whores instead of publicly fawning over them. Doesn't it wear you out? Believing you're so much better than everyone else? Was your life so damaged with me as a father? Avram won't even touch this. Don't turn a blind eye because you hate me. The war on Jews is coming to Hungary, and it will be the end of us. What would you have me do with three hot-blooded sons, one of whom already draws his knife at the slightest whim? How would they survive such a war? When you were a child, you'd always hide behind your mother. As a young man, it was God and the yarmulke. Now... You hide behind your sons. Coward. Exterior Crocious Street, day. Close to the sign, Crocious Street. Pull out to find a hub of activity as residents frequent their favorite shops and cafes. We're looking through the store window of the Crocious Street hair salon. Inside, we see Devorah speaking with a red-headed female salon owner of 50s. By their animated hand gestures, we gather at some type of negotiation. The salon owner extends her hand for Devora to accept terms, but Devora defiantly shakes her head no. The female salon owner shrugs, then turns away, while Devora exits the salon, frustrated. As Devora gathers herself, she notices something in the storefront window of a travel agency next door to the salon that catches her eye. Whatever it is, it seems to hold her attention for a moment until, on her peripheral, she spots a woman, Clara, 30, Aryan features, exiting the market, carrying a large bag of groceries while trying to discipline her two unruly children. A boy, Hans, and girl, Heike, eight and five, respectively. Hans is disabled, wearing a leg brace on his right leg. Devorah runs over. Uh, Hans, no, here, 
I can carry that back. Devor reaches out. Clara considers, then hands it over. Oh, here, darling, thank you. I'm Clara, this is Hans and Heike. Devora, how far are you going? Two streets over, the Hotel Lennox, if, if it's not an imposition. None whatsoever. It's on my way. Interior Hotel Lennox Suite, day. Devora, Clara, and her children enter the hotel suite. Clara turns to Hans. Read your sister to Struvel, Peter. Hans grabs a book from the coffee table and begins reading. In the bedroom. Hans ushers his sister into the bedroom. Clara rolls her eyes. <laughs> My youngest brother and sister are five-year-old twins. It's like wrangling cats. Mine are restless. We've been moving around quite a bit. My, my husband's an engineer. He was hired by the Hungarian telephone company, so we left Munich. I love Munich. Walking along the Isor at night. <laughs> you speak German? Why were you in Munich? My brothers and I spent two summers with our uncle Saul and his family. Are they still there? No, somewhere in Denmark. We left just in time. Are you Jewish? We had many Jewish friends. And our podiatrist was Jewish. Do you work? I cut hair at Rosie's salon. Oh, good. I was thinking about coming in and getting a pompadour. Mm, a pompadour wouldn't fit your face. It wouldn't fit mine either. We're cursed with flat cheekbones. <laughs> I'd make you look like a star. Valley, Rats, or Greta Garbo. You really enjoy what you do. I'd enjoy it more if the salon owner gave me another day's work. I used to be an accountant's assistant. Now I've mastered the art of doing nothing. I miss being important. I've always been pretty, never important. Why not go back to work? A German woman with high credentials is like Queen Sheba in Hungary. What would I do with my children? Pay a housemaid to watch them. Perhaps one who speaks German. Me? You? Oh, you're perfect. And I'd pay you generously. Oh, do say yes, Devora. I like your nature. You speak your mind with no restraint. <laughs> That's probably why I'm not married. <laughs> As the two have a good laugh. Interior Moshe's study, night. Avram glances out into the hallway, watching Moshe on the telephones long enough to see. Moshe ping-ponging between nodding, listening, and repeatedly smelling his palms. Avram then turns his attention back into the study, his eyes locate a stretch of carpet underfoot in the room's center. This parcel of rug has some special significance. On Moshe, he hangs up and enters to find Avram's eyes and attention fixated on the carpet. Moshe knows the what and why of Avram's fascination. He sighs, partly to shake Avram out of his reverie, partly out of utter disappointment that he's still touched by this memory. <sighs> it's done. The minister sounded optimistic, but from my lips to God's ears, it helps that we switched your business license to a Christian name a few years ago. He'll contact you in a few days. Thank you. I know it must infuriate you to be in debt to a man like me. As much as it pleases you to know I am in your debt. Avram nods, then turns his attention back to the carpet. Interior upstairs hallway, Moshe's house, night. Close up on the framed photograph of a woman standing under an oak tree. It's the same woman from the family painting downstairs, Avram's mother. Find Isaac, fascinated by it. No doubt since she's the source of the rift between father and grandfather. Isaac walks down the hall, examining other family photographs hanging on the wall. Avram with his brothers in Moshe in front of one of Moshe's first furniture stores. Avram with his mother eating ice cream on the beach. Isaac continues down the hall and enters the master bedroom. Interior Moshe's master bedroom, Moshe's house, continuous. Isaac enters, eyes widen. It's grandiose. Italian lamps, Baroque wardrobe, etc. Atop Moshe's dresser rest bottles of French cologne, an expensive Jaeger cultural gold... <laughs> Atop, Mo Mo Atop Moshe's dresser rest bottles of French cologne and an expensive Jaeger Lacultra gold watch. Isaac spritzes his wrist with cologne and sniffs. Fancy. On Moshe's nightstand rests the room's only photograph, Avram and Moshe, after Avram returned home from World War I. 
He's in uniform, adorned with medals. Moshe's arm is proudly draped around him. Isaac realizes, despite their animosity, Moshe still cares for Avram deeply. All of a sudden, screeching tires skid to a halt outside. Isaac moves to the window, sees police vehicles parking in front of the house and officers streaming through the gate. No. Isaac's face is full of fear, absolutely terrified as the police are about to enter his grandfather's house. And we end episode two. of that actress's name, Bali Raz, or whatever. I don't, I forget who had that part, but you're good. Great. Sorry, just Great. Okay, so hold up. So what is this difficult? Uh, I, you know, I went over a lot of shit. Uh, so just go out past the bathrooms into the back, and it should be set up out there. And let's uh, plan to take a half-hour lunch, please, and let's try to get back in there at 2.20, if that's okay. All right, thank you so much for your patience. Refresh yourselves. Drawing on our Jewish values and history, for over a century, Hyas has been there for refugees when and where they need help most. Now, in more than 20 countries around the world, we provide vital services to refugees and asylum seekers and advocate for their fundamental rights so they can rebuild their lives. Together, we can help create a world in which refugees find welcome, safety, and opportunity. To donate, volunteer, or for more ways to get involved, please visit www.highest.org. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.